eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Uh, now in our passage today, Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your phones, you can pull that up on your phone. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is coming home. He's coming home. He's coming to where he grew up. And uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe some of you uh, traveled for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. You're going to be going home. In fact, I'll show of hands. How many of you will be traveling for going home for Christmas or Thanksgiving? Just raise your hand. You're, how many of you, Kansas City is home? Just raise your hand. Okay, so this, then this will not apply to you. This message will not, you will not relate. But uh, it relates to me a little bit because um, when I was 18, I moved away from home. Uh, which is Detroit, Michigan, the three one third. Come on, somebody, home of uh, the Detroit Lions, home of Eminem. <laughs> and I love going home. I love going home. It, it's there's something nostalgic when you when you move away from home, and then you come back home. There's like something nostalgic about every little interaction. For me, it's the Polish food, the pierogies, the kielbasa the constant threat of crime. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. I feel too entirely safe here. It's just, I love being a little bit dangerous. Nothing brings it out like going home. And, uh, and Jesus is going home. Or maybe, maybe you can relate to this. How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a high school reunion. Come on. It's, okay, so most people were missing out on their high school. I haven't been to mine either. Um, but I can only imagine it's a little nerve-wracking. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be a little bit like, you know, how do, you know, how do I, do I look like I got my stuff together? And, you know, I don't care about these people, but I want to impress them, you know? Like, it's, there's just, when you come back home, it's different, especially if you've been away for a while. And this is only, I would only imagine, much more true if you're a celebrity of some kind. Like, can you imagine being Dwayne The Rock Johnson coming home to your high school reunion? Can you imagine? Like, in fact, we have a picture of what Dwayne looked like in high school right here. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, I mean, he, he looks big. I'm sure he was still big in high school. But he doesn't look like The Rock. You know what I'm saying? Like, he looks like a normal guy. And this is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Do we have, do we have the after photo uh, handy? Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. We know what Dwayne the Rock looks like. We know what he looks like. He doesn't look like this. Okay, so there's one thing coming up. Can you imagine Dwayne walking into his high school reunion? Like, I mean, it would be crazy. Everybody would be freaking out. Everybody would be like, oh, that's Dwayne. Oh, I mean, he came from this high school. That's amazing. I mean, it would be, it would be hysteria. It would be hysteria. All right, it's one thing to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but come on, somebody, it's a whole nother thing to be Jesus the Rock of Ages Christ. Like that rock tie-in. Worked real hard on that. So, I mean, and, I mean there's, he's a celebrity. Jesus is a celebrity. By this time in his ministry, he is a celebrity. And he doesn't show up. He doesn't show up by himself. He shows up with an entourage. He shows up with at least 12, and many times he had 70 people following him. At times, by the time of his ascension, there were 120 disciples. So he always has a crew, and he's showing up to Nazareth, Nazareth, 
Now, Nazareth isn't a big city. At the time of Jesus' ministry, most scholars believe today probably 300 to 500 people. That's, that's the town that Jesus grew up in. Less people than in this room today is where Jesus grew up in. In fact, we have a map I want to show you just a little bit. Okay, so this is the uh, Israel at the time of Jesus. You can see there. It's kind of the zoomed out view. And then let's zoom in so we can see a little bit of where all of this takes place. All right, so we have Jerusalem, which is down here in the south. And right just south of Jerusalem, a little cut off right there, Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born. But where he was raised was up here in Nazareth. He spends most of his ministry up by the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias in Capernaum, but where he, is, where he is raised is this little town called Nazareth, and it's in the hills of Galilee, and so he grew up in the hill country, and so we have a little bit of a visual from modern day of what this looks like. Jesus, this is, uh, this is Nazareth today, but you, what I wanted to show you is you get a glimpse of the, the mountainous region that Jesus would have grown up in. And so just imagine like taking all of these houses out of here because again, only three to 500 people are in Nazareth. So a lot of hills, a lot of walking around, a lot of beautiful scenic viewpoints. I mean, can you look at that? That's what Jesus grew up looking at as, as he grew up in the town of Nazareth. And so not much to do there in Nazareth. Most of the people were simple farmers, simple farming communities in the hill country. This is, in the, this is like the backwoods, if you will, of Israel. Three to 500 people. Not, this is off the beaten path. This is off of every major road. So you didn't go there unless you wanted to get there, and you didn't want to get there because there was nothing there to get to. So that's where Jesus grew up in. I mean, it wasn't much. And so he's coming back to this three to 500 person community. He is a celebrity, he's bringing an entourage. People have heard about him and Nazareth is known for nothing except for being the home of Jesus, uh, home of Jesus at this point. Like it's known for nothing except now it's like, yeah, that's where Jesus is from. Jesus is from Nazareth. It's kind of like Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> it's not known for much. Do you know what it's known for? The home of Bass Pro. And Brad Pitt. Fun fact. I don't know if you guys knew that. He's from, he's from Springfield. Brad. Eminem, I don't know if that's, I don't know if he's from Springfield. The Simpsons are also from Springfield. It's not known for much. Nazareth isn't known for anything except being the home of Jesus, which is everything. It's a big deal. And so the people have got to be like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming home. Do you hear? Yeah, he's coming back. We can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah, and Matthew's going to be with him, and John and Peter, they're all coming. This is amazing. And so he shows up. This famous rabbi, this miracle worker is coming home. Spoiler alert, the reception is not what you would think it would be. And I want to look at this. I want to break this down because... This whole interaction teaches us something very important about how we receive Jesus into our homes, the homes of our heart. And I want to break this down, Matthew chapter 13, verse by verse. We're going to look at it. Um, I really don't have uh, points today, 
So I hope I have a point, and, that, uh, and, and, and that's to make Jesus at home in our heart. I want to look at this. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to break it down. If you're ready to jump in, say him. All right. Verse 53 says, when Jesus had finished these parables, so again, we just came right out of the parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. Now, just pause for a second. Think about how nostalgic this has got to be for Jesus. When, when, you, when, you, when you come home, if you've been away for a long time, especially if you're bringing people with you, you're excited to show them all the things. I remember when I brought Jen home to, to Michigan for the first time. I was like, oh, yeah, that's where I grew up. That's the school I went to. That's where I got jumped the first time. Like all of those things. <laughs> True story. Um, now, this is Jesus, though, so it's different. It's different. Like, this is, this is nostalgic, and this is, this is the synagogue. For every young Jewish person, this is the most important place in their life. This is the community. And so Jesus would have grown up going to synagogue and worshiping and singing hymns with his family and with his friends, listening to a rabbi or listening to people teach and preach the word of God. And now here he is in his hometown synagogue and he gets the chance to teach. Would have been amazing, right? Would have been fantastic because Jesus, when Jesus taught, he taught different. Look at this in verse 53. And they were amazed. Everybody say amazed. Amazed. The word means to be greatly astounded or to be astonished. Like, wow, he's better than advertised. This Jesus, I mean, he's incredible the way he's breaking things down. What was he talking about? I don't know. He could have been talking about the kingdom. He could have been talking about all the stuff he had been talking about, like how to experience God, how to, how to walk in, uh, the, to be salt and light. Who knows what he could have been talking about? Beatitudes things or kingdom things or how he is the way, the truth and life. Who knows? But he is amazing them. And this is not the first time that Jesus is amazing people with his teaching. In fact, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's one continual nonstop amazement factory. Every time he opens his mouth, people are like, wow, wow, he's dropping truth bombs left and right. Look at this. What a couple verses I want to show you. In Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Everybody say amazed. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Think about this. Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke like he actually knew what he was talking about. He spoke like he was what he was talking about. So he, he talked different. He had a different way of communicating, and people were amazed. You look at Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum. This, is where his, this was his base of operations we just looked at. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach, and the people were, come on, everybody say it with me, Amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So again, this is a continual theme. Even Nicodemus, even one of the teachers of the law or one of the chief teachers of the law was amazed. Look at this in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. 
for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. Like, we know there's something exceptional. We know that there's something special. We know that there's something altogether different about who you are and the ministry you are bringing. You are amazing. Jesus is accustomed to blowing people's minds. And I want to pause for a moment, and I want to take a minute and tell you that this is what God does because this is who God is. He blows our minds. I mean, you could look at creation and see how God just likes to blow our minds. How over the top. I mean, creation is so unnecessarily over the top. It's galaxy upon galaxy, universe upon universe. And then you look at the only little planet, the little blue planet in the middle of, of all of it, the only place that can experience any type of life that we know of, and not only is life happening, it's teeming with life. It's full of life. Everywhere you look is beautiful. God is so unnecessarily over the top. He's incredible. I just want us to think about that for a moment and, and apply it to our life because I want, you, I want you to know this. God wants to blow your mind personally. God wants to be over the top for you. He, he wants to come through. And if you have never put your faith in Christ, I want you to know this. God will blow your mind as you start, as you start following him. He will, he, will, he will change the game for you completely as you start moving toward him. Or maybe if you're a believer in Christ, maybe you're in a, a middle season and you're like, Man, I, I, I'm, I'm going through a difficult moment right now. I want you to, with fresh faith, believe that God could do something amazing for you because that's who he is and that's what he does. He wants to amaze you. It's what Jesus did consistently. It's who God is. Well, how can we experience it? We're going to see that here in just a moment. How do we experience the, the miracle work of God? We're going to see that in a moment. Back to our story. Well, most of the time when Jesus would show up and he would do something amazing, that amazement would lead people to worship, to have greater faith, and then experience more of God. But in Jesus' hometown, something completely different happens. And the people start asking questions. And although there's nothing wrong with bringing your questions to God, the way that they do this, the intent of their heart is skepticism, and it's doubtful, and it's actually to bring Jesus down. They insult him. Look at this in verse 54. So they were amazed, and then they go, man, wait a second. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Wait a second. We know you. You're just Jesus. We knew where you grew up. We know what you're all about. We know your family, and we know your mom. Now, one of the most like, offensive things you can say to somebody, like a, your mama joke. You know what I'm saying? Like, in growing up, like, growing up, just, I'm going to tie this in for, just hang with me for a second. But growing up, when someone said, like, when, like, like you could, like, cut each other back and forth. But when someone say your mama, like, then the gloves come off and it's like, let's go. Let's go. It's on. In a very real sense, that's what's happening here. Because when they say, because you don't, you didn't, you didn't say son of 
the mother, you said son of the father. But when they're saying son of the mother, what they're doing here is they're, they're, they're alluding to Jesus' backstory. And how many knows a backstory that has a little bit of scandal in it? It's got a little bit of scandal because Jesus was born out of wedlock. He was born out of wedlock. Now, we know and we believe that that was obviously a divine encounter, supernatural, Virgin Mary conceived. But in that day, everyone's like, yeah, right. Scandal. So they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We know who you are. You're a scandal. Jesus is amazing. He's doing incredible things. He's moving. He's doing miracles. And all they can do is hurl insults at him bringing him down to their level. And I think it's a point of encouragement for us today because even Jesus had haters, even his own family. And it's a point of encouragement for us because there are gonna be people who don't like what God is doing in your life. You just gotta know it. There are gonna be people who don't like how you're praying all of a sudden. Or how you all of a sudden you've got some convictions, or all of a sudden you're going to church and it's a priority, and and oh, you're not able to come to Christmas at this time because you're going to church. Oh, you're so spiritual. Oh, you're so amazing. Why don't you just pray for me right now? I mean, there are gonna be people who don't love what God is doing in your life. Take, take, take encouragement. Even Jesus had haters. Even Jesus had haters in his hometown. Family and friends who watched him. If Jesus had haters, you're going to have some haters. Now watch how they respond. This is so telling. And I just want this to speak to us. Watch how they respond. And they took offense at him. They were amazed. And now they're offended. They were like, wow, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. This is better than advertised. But now they're offended. I'm offended. That offends me. What? Does this even make any sense? I mean, here you have the son of God. I mean, God incarnate. And he's, he's waxing eloquent, teaching the kingdom, and they're offended? Why? Why would they be offended? Could have been that they were just simply jealous. Could have been they were simply jealous. Like, you know, how many, how many know when, when you start moving up, some people just like to tear you right back down? <laughs> like, that's could have been simple jealousy. I, I don't know. They had like, how, you know, familiarity breeds contempt type of thing. Could have been that he was speaking the truth. How many of you know people don't like to be told the truth? That's offensive to hear the word of God, to hear the truth, like to hear like, oh, I could be wrong. That's offensive. How do we respond to the truth? It could have been the enemy. I mean, let's be honest. The enemy used Peter to try to keep Jesus from going to the cross. So it could be the enemy at work. I mean, obviously, the enemy doesn't want Jesus moving forward. So is he going to incite these people? We're not sure. We're not sure. Jesus has a commentary. He says, He goes to his disciples, he said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and his own home. How sad, right? 
How sad to think that Jesus in his own town wasn't welcome, wasn't, wasn't welcomed in. We're not sure why, but what I will say is this. This spirit of being offended is going to cost these people in a major way. You're taking notes. That's worth writing down. That's worth coming for because that's what this whole passage is teaching us. The spirit of offense is going to cost them. Look at what the next verse says. Verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. This is crazy. Why didn't Jesus do more miracles? Because of their lack of faith. Do you know what because means in the Greek? Because. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. Think about this for a minute. Jesus isn't able to do more of the stuff that he loves to do and wanted to do because of their lack of faith. We've got the God who can do anything, the God who loves to show off and to show up for us, the God who spoke the world into existence and wants to work in our lives. You've got that God, and, and he wants to move, and he wants to work, and that same God was not able to do miracles because of their lack of faith. Look at Mark's gospel. It records it this way, Mark 6, verse 5. He could, not, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, the word amazed, amazed there is different than the earlier uh, amazed that we look at. This word amazed is, is astonished or surprised. It's like, wow, that's surprised. I'm, I'm shocked by that. How could you? Why would you? It's like when you go to a nice steak restaurant. And someone orders their steak well done. You're like, oh. Why would you do that? Was that a mistake? Surely you didn't intend that. Or it's like you find out, like, someone's a Raiders fan. You're like, oh. Why? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you give your allegiance? Now, God can do anything. Check this out. God can do anything, but there are some things that he can't do or that he won't do. He won't steal. He won't lie. He won't cheat. And he won't fail. And he won't force himself on anyone who doesn't want him. That's what he won't do. He will not do that. Jesus will roll up to any party. He wants to work in anybody's life. His heart is that none would perish. That's his heart. But he's got real love, and real love doesn't force the other person to love them back. God gives us an invitation and a choice. Will you respond? These people respond with offense. It's crazy. And, of course, this is, this is contrasted with the people who would have interacted with Jesus and responded with faith. You, you, see, you see it early. We've seen it throughout Matthew's gospel, right? We've seen it uh, in Matthew chapter 8, the healing of the centurion's servant. The centurion said, hey, just say the word, Jesus. You don't even need to come to my house, and it will be done. And look what happens in verse uh, 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Do you see a theme here? 
Jesus can be amazed at your faith or he can be amazed at your lack of faith. Look at this. And, and he was amazed and said to those following, truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The woman with the issue of blood, she says, if I can only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And then Matthew 9 says, Jesus turned to her and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. But Jairus' daughter, when he was still saying this, a synagogue leader named Jairus came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come, she's, just, she's already dead. But Jesus says, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up with all of his disciples and went with him. And of course, the end of that story is she did live. She did live. Why? Because of their faith. That faith, the simple faith, moves the hand of God. So we have two different responses to Jesus' ministry, and I want to just lay this out for us today. First of all, you have Jesus being amazing, which leads to honest curiosity, which leads to conviction, transformation, and growth, which leads to faith, which leads to miracles. Or you have Jesus being awesome, skeptical bias questions, leading to offense, leads to doubt, leads to no miracles. This is what you have working in the gospel. This is, this is I mean, every time you see Jesus show up, he's awesome, he's amazing. People are like, I'm curious. Then they're convicted, they're transformed, they're growing, they're moving towards him. They respond with faith, and then they experience miracles. Or, I don't know, I'm not too sure about this. I've got, uh, I can't get over my own self. I can't get over my questions. I can't get over my issues which leads to more offense and then doubt and no miracles. And the question I want to ask all of us today is which camp do we find ourselves in today? Are we, are we curious? Are we open? Are we leaning in? Or are we offended? Are we skeptical? Are we arms folded saying, I dare you, God, show me? Because Whatever we believe about God will be what we experience from God. Now, I'm not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I'm not talking about that. I'm not like, if you don't have it because you don't have enough faith, Jesus doesn't need a lot of faith. We learn from the mustard seed, he just needs a little bit of faith. He, he, all he's asking is for a little bit of faith, but he is asking for a little bit of faith. If you have no faith, if you're like, God, I dare you, you're going to have to show me. And I'm, Jesus was like, I'm happy. I would love for you to respond to me, but I will walk on by. I will walk on by. My question for all of us today is, is Jesus walking by us? Because we're offended, because we're doubting, because we're all up in our own head, because we can't get over ourselves. Maybe something has happened to us that has caused us to be offended Offended at how we were treated, offended at how things worked out, offended at what God did not do for us yet, offended at how we thought God was supposed to respond to us. We get offended. We, we live in a culture that is constantly offended. Can we just take a moment and look at, look at that for a second? We live in a constant state of offense. We're offended over everything. I'm offended you said that. I'm offended you didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm just offended. 
I'm just, I'm waking up, I'm scrolling, and I'm offended. I'm offended there, offended there, offended there. I'm offended all the time. And do you know what? That offense keeps us from miracles. It keeps us from God moving in our life because we're so offended, we're so worked up. And that causes doubt, and it leads to discouragement, and it leads to a distancing from who God is. And Jesus is like, man, I just want to show you who I am. Would you just let me in for a second? Can you get over your offense? Be like, you know what? It's not about me anyways. It's not about me. You're either going to be offended or you're going to be convicted. You're going to be doubting or you're going to be believing. You're going to be full of faith or you're going to be full of yourself. That's what it comes down to. And I want to encourage us to live convicted, to live open, to live full of faith, to say, God, you know what? Some things may not have worked out. Some things may not be working out how I want them to work out, but I'm going to respond with faith. I'm going to respond believing you and trusting you and saying, God, I know this didn't work out, but I'm, I'm praying that you'll do something amazing in this situation. I'm leaning in and I'm praying and I'm full of faith because I know that you are good and that you do good. There's a difference there. Let's live full of faith. Matthew chapter 9. Great example of this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him and calling out saying, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they believed. He they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. We can be offended or we can be full of faith. I want to encourage us to be full of faith today. Where do you fall in that little equation? Are you discouraged? Are you doubting? Has it, has it left you skeptical? I'm not saying your hurt doesn't matter. I'm, in fact, Jesus cares a lot about your hurt. He cares a lot about your offense. How many know Jesus was offended? Jesus was offended on the cross. They're criticizing him, mocking him as he's giving his life up. Talk about ungrateful. And yet, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine living with that type of faith? Man, they're offending me. Man, this is offensive to me. But you know what? I'm not going to let this get me off of where you have called me to go. That's the difference. It's living with conviction. It's living with faith. It's living with a mindset that says, this world, man, it's it's small, it's small potato. It's, it matters. But in light of eternity, there's something so much greater. This is an opportunity. This passage, this very unique passage, is an opportunity for all of us to examine our hearts. Have I been offended by somebody, or by what we think God has or hasn't done for us? And is that allowing me, or is that, a, is that causing me 
to not experience God's best. Ephesians chapter three, this is what I pray will happen for all of us. Then Christ will make his home in your heart. Jesus is coming home. Jesus wants to come home. He literally, he literally wants to come home in our heart. He wants to take up residence. He wants to be king. He wants to be God. He wants to show us how amazing he is. But will we invite him in or will our offense keep him away? Because look at this. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you, what is it? Trust. As you trust in him. As you reach out with whatever level of faith you can muster up, you say, God, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that you are good. I'm going to believe that you do good. I'm going to believe that you're still working. And, and, and no matter what has happened to me, I'm not going to let all of that define me. I'm going to let you define me, and I'm going to reach out. And then you're going to make Christ at home as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I just want to encourage all of